I'm Morgan Dennis, and this is Storied. I'm dealing with a student right now who failed all of his winter classes because his family was on the run in Ukraine. They had to cross the entire country from their town and then ended up in Spain. And now they've made their way to Canada and he is in a position to finish the courses that he just couldn't think of before. I mean, this is a student who, if it wasn't for the pandemic, would actually be studying in Canada. But because the college has been offering courses remotely and programs remotely, he was able to to do the courses uh, abroad. And of course, because of the war in Ukraine, that was suddenly not possible. You know, and what strikes as so many things about this really strike me, but one of them is that you know this is a this is a success story. Uh, this is somebody who's been able to to get themselves out of that horrible situation, and in fact is still in you know a coveted program in Canada, and is going to be able to get these courses finished and and finish the program and. Um, you know, I'm sure that there is just so much devastation in this person's life. I really have no other context than than this. But perhaps you know he's lost his home. Uh, who knows if he's lost other lost people in his family? Um, but that he's been able to kind of get himself out and is actually thinking of uh, of these courses that that he was enrolled in and and is thinking of actually kind of getting in there and, and finishing these courses is just kind of a miracle to me that that he's even doing that. And it brings me to something that I've been thinking of through thinking of throughout this this war in Ukraine that's in its third month now. And in the beginning of it and, and, and really throughout it, I, I've just I haven't really known how to even begin to process it, what's happening over there. I'm half Ukrainian myself and I didn't I didn't grow up with a lot of tradition. I mean, we painted Easter eggs and my grandparents spoke Ukrainian. And so I, I was wondering in the beginning, people that actually, who know I'm Ukrainian would ask me, you know, is this affecting you more uh, because you're Ukrainian or half Ukrainian? And and I, I don't think so. I, I mean, I think that it, the news was shocking originally. It still is shocking. In fact, I've had to, the times in the UK, I've had to just not open stories from from that that news organization on my phone. I, I, I read a lot of the news through my the app in my Apple Apple News app and um, and I've just had to stop reading that one because they'll they'll put in pictures that are that are pretty shocking without a heads up. I feel like a lot of places lately have been good about giving people a heads up about disturbing content. And I mean, that's one thing I've had to do just because I don't want to, it's hard because on one hand, I don't want to shy away at all from what's happening there. I want to be um, in touch with it. And in fact, throughout this war, and especially in the beginning, in order to, I guess, try to process what was happening, which again, I, I, I don't think, I'm successful at and I don't know how we do process it but I would really try to you know stay on top of the news and understand what's happening and that was a big part of it I, I wanted to really understand the entire 
um, historical picture, really, of that region and, and what was at stake, all the little pieces that were at stake to try to process and understand the greater picture throughout history. And so I would read a lot of news about it. And, and you know, that was one way to process it. Another thing, too, that, that I think of is that my house uh, in Toronto is, is over 100 years old. And, and at times I felt, you know, we've done some renovations in it, uh, but it still has, you know, its, its elements that, that were around for a long time. And I've been conscious of, you know, of the house and those fixtures and thinking about the, the moments in history that, that were happening when, when the house was in existence. And, um, you know, I've thought, I've thought before about the Holocaust, for instance, and how our house existed when the Holocaust was happening. And I've wondered at times, you know, how, how the people who lived in the house were able to just sort of really go on with, with that happening in Europe. And, and while what's happening in Ukraine isn't like that, although it's there are a lot of connections to that and it's horrifying, I almost feel similarly now. I mean, it's how do we, how do we kind of continue on in our lives right now? How do we, how do we live and how do we function when, when this is happening? And uh, it's so significant and has so many global implications and and just the humanitarian piece is just is just so awful and and how do we how do we go through that i mean do we do we try to just understand it do we as a way of processing um do we you know uh, donate to organizations that can assist i mean i think we do a lot of things but and we also have to just march on and live our lives but it feels sometimes difficult to do that or difficult to know how to do that, or how to, how to just accept this. I feel that there's just so many points of reference as well. I, I listened to The Daily quite a bit, and there was an early episode of The Daily, and I remember a woman in Ukraine uh, speaking about her kind of outrage about what was happening, and, and that it was early spring there, and she said, you know, this is the time that I would usually be, you know, the, the birds are out, and the, the, the trees are going to start to the leaves are going to start to come out soon, and this is the time that is being taken away from me. Of course, it's spring here, and, and it's an amazing time of the year, but it's also something that is easy to take for granted. And, and so that's that other connection point over there with what's happening. These people are being robbed of this time in their lives, and they're being robbed of so much. And how do they get any of that back? How do they begin to restructure their lives? You know, and the student, again, that I'm dealing with, um, it's just, it feels so heroic to me that uh, that he's been able to do this and is being able to uh, think about his future and do something proactive toward that future. It's really inspiring. So for the rest of us who are sitting on the sidelines watching all of this happen, I'm not really sure what we can do. I mean, we can try to help where we can, uh, we can try to be conscious of what's happening. We can try to educate our children on it. Uh, my son has actually been quite interested in, in the war in Ukraine insofar as when I drive him back and forth to, to school. Uh, he just asks about it every day on the drives. He wants to know. He knows that I'm keeping tabs on what's happening. I've talked to him about it, and he's interested in it. He's interested in... I think he's concerned about it obviously. He's it's something that is is different in his life uh is sort of like the pandemic 
is this kind of global moment where he understands he's 10, uh, but he understands that something, something different is going on. Something is going on that is not. Sorry, my wife was calling me there and I was getting distracted. I had to pick up. She was, uh, she got herself stranded in a streetcar, a stuck streetcar, which is something that often happens in Toronto. And she was on her way to work and had a meeting. So I drove over and picked her up and took her into the city and I just came back. And I might have spliced my last part into this one, but I thought I'd leave it in just as an example of kind of a pressure point in my daily life um, that obviously sort of pales in comparison to to what's happening in the greater context of what I'm talking about. But what I was saying about my son is that when the pandemic started, that was around the time that I explained 9-11 to him. And I was using the pandemic as an example of, you know, something in my life that had happened that was really out of the ordinary. And I was trying to give that example. And so I explained about the terrorist attacks at the time and how that felt just as a historical moment. And that was very significant. And then I made some other comparisons that my mother had told me about. The big things she had mentioned to me were the Cuban Missile Crisis and John F. Kennedy's assassination. So anyway, I I had mentioned all of that to to Max and our drives to and from school. Uh, I had also told him actually about another student that I remembered, a Ukrainian student from some years back, and I was speaking to him about his service, his military service in Ukraine and that it was just uh, obligatory. And and I remember when I was speaking to him about that, he was 18. I was really struck by how different, obviously, my upbringing was in Canada to his. And, and, and so I mentioned that to Max as well as a way of illustrating that. You know, he knows that he uh, has some Ukrainian in him and he's, you know, asked questions about, you know, what it would be like if, you know, he was living over there and, and if we were living over in Ukraine and, and what, what would be going through, and so the, you know these are these are tough questions and they're important questions and they're ones that I try to answer the best I I can to him, to make him understand what's happening in the world and what's happening there isn't happening to us, but of course that's not exactly the case. Potentially, you know, this is a, a global issue right now, and there are dire consequences. And there's, of course, the nuclear threat. I haven't mentioned that at all to him. And he hasn't seemed to have gotten that piece from school at all. So so that's something that I that I don't have to deal with yet with him. But all of these things are issues that we have to deal with in our lives. And we have to figure out how to process ourselves. And also, you know, how we how we talk to our kids about them. On one of the drives, I told Max about how people were being forced to evacuate from Ukraine. And how some of them were having to leave their pets behind because how could you get your pets out? And I asked him, you know, what what would you take if you had to leave? And he said, well, we would have our car, right? And, and I said, well, no, we might not. And he said he would take his gaming stuff, which wasn't a surprise, and some clothes and stuffed animals. And, and he also said he would take the cat's litter box because he you know, was worried about them and wanted them to be comfortable. And uh, I just thought that was sort of heartbreaking. You know, I try to provide him with with as many facts as I can. Uh, another piece that I've talked to him about is the uh, agricultural crisis uh, that's happening because of the war, and make him understand the intricacies of 
of how all these markets are at play and and again how this could impact us and 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 that it should in some way because it isn't so just so isolated in eastern europe and another thing that i've tried to explain to him is the disinformation campaign in russia and uh, i actually played for him an episode from the daily his really interesting piece where a son he was older and he was living in ukraine he was russian during the beginning of the conflict he had phoned his father who was still in, in russia to say look you know this is happening in kiev right now we're being bombed and his father was just like no that's that's not happening and you know the father couldn't comprehend and couldn't grasp and couldn't accept his son's version of things because of the information that he was being fed in Russia and how pervasive that was and so i played that for max and and it was you know it was an interesting thing to to provide for him because you know i'm his father and he's my son and 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 for him to kind of think about about that as being something that was even possible and uh, so that was an interesting thing for him to to hear and i think i think helped him process through this stuff but these are certainly difficult times this issue in ukraine is obviously horrible we're just getting through this pandemic that's still here but it's it's another significant piece and and every year i mean there's the the climate issues are just so drastic and where i'm from out west i mean there are fires every summer and that just didn't happen when i was young and living out there the last thing i'll i'll say about all of this is that there was a really interesting article it was in the telegraph and i'll i'll link it in the show notes it was just about how to return th- to turn things over to something completely different uh speculation about how we haven't been visited on earth by aliens and essentially one of them is as civilizations grow and their technologies grow they reach a certain saturation point where there's no more growth and so there can be either collapse of the civilization or the civilization has to kind of go into a state where they're they have to tone down that advancement so i just bring that up in the context of what we're going through in the world right now and it can kind of feel eerily like we are reaching a certain point where we're teetering toward pretty bad devastation and especially when you think about again the house that that we live in here i'm thinking about when that was built how different the world was at that point and you know how far we have come in advancements and and really kind of our impact on the planet so we have to do the best we can we have to educate our children the best we can and we have to try to enjoy what we have and for me right now that means enjoying the extra time with my wife picking her up and taking her to work and it's a beautiful spring day here and i mowed the lawn for the first time yesterday and i'm i'm thankful for that about a week since my last recording. It's May 18th today and I thought I'd provide a couple updates. One on the student I've been working with, uh, he's been doing well. The course I've been helping him through is an intro sociology course and he's been working with the faculty and and getting everything done. And he's also completing his other courses as well. So that's really good. Also just I think there's a few positive developments overseas. Uh, many Ukrainians, uh refugees are are returning to the country, so they obviously feel safe enough to do that. 
And this week was the first war crimes uh, in, in the country. And a Russian soldier was on trial. And as you might have heard, he's, he's pled guilty. So I think that's just a really encouraging precedent to set that this is happening and that the country can even do this right now with everything it, it's going through. I was, I was surprised to see that, that they were actually holding these court cases right now is, is impressive. And Finland and Sweden are both, are both in a bid to join NATO. And generally in Europe, there's a real push right now to gain independence from Russia regarding fuel and energy independence is, is, another, is another positive thing. It's, it's a message that just says, you know, this is not okay. And it's really something that has to be done to put, to put pressure on the country. I can't help think of my grandfather, a Canadian-Ukrainian who served in Europe as a medic during World War II. He always talked of his experiences there. He made such sacrifices. He was traumatized by what he saw, and frankly, it's a miracle that he lived. He was injured really badly twice. And you hear these stories about, when I, when I heard about the number of Russians who died during World War II, it's 27 million civilians and soldiers combined. And it was just a staggering number. I, just lo- I looked it up just to confirm, and it, it's just, it's so many. And... and, and and that's just part. It goes to show you how unified Europe was after World War II, after these sacrifices from from Russians and defeating the Nazis. And of course, there was the, the V-Day uh, date in Russia, May 9th. And, and all of that history, it just seems so, so tarnished in a way because of what's happening now in Ukraine. And to go with that unity the Europe that emerged from World War II, they just sort of took for granted with Russia being a huge supplier of oil. And it just made sense to have that relationship. And of course, what's happening now is realizing that that relationship is really fraught and you can't bank on it. There's been more criticism really within Russia in the media. And uh, that's that's clearly a unique thing based on, on the kind of constraints that that the Kremlin puts on the media. And things are quite up and down Obviously, in the country, it, it changes day by day, but the Ukrainian military has been able to regain some positions in the Northeast, and and that's just a further indication of, of what they're capable of. A lot of the strength is based on weapons provided from the West, and it's always, it's always hard when I think about about kind of rooting for the country and rooting for you know, this war that's happening because obviously lives are being lost. And if you look back to some of those early stories about the Russian soldiers who were going down thinking they were on a peacekeeping mission and clearly things are, are different, it's a, it's a very complicated situation. But again, I, I think, I think these, are, these are ultimately positive developments in the country. So I'd just like to thank you for taking the time of your day to listen to this. This is a new podcast and I'm learning my way as I go. Again, you can reach out to me at thestoriedpodcast at gmail.com if you have any feedback or questions that really be valuable to me. Also a review wherever you're listening to the podcast really helps the podcast. So again, thanks so much and have a great week.